Paul has been writing to the Philippian church. He is in prison. And he tells them a little bit about his suffering and his thoughts about the future. And then he goes on in verse 27 to say, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, good evening, everyone. Let's pray together. The Word of God says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray tonight that you would oppose the pride that lies in all of our hearts and give us more of your grace that we might grow in the humility of Christ, that this might glorify and honor your name. Amen. Great, well please do keep that passage open in Philippians. Um, Last week I asked us this question, uh, what should the Christian life look like? And I guess one way you could maybe summarize it uh, would be with this sentence, uh, the Christian life should be one that is selfless, humble, 
as we live as witnesses focused on living for God's glory. And it's a sort of phrase that I've come up with which we're going to be looking at in different parts as we journey through the book of Philippians because each of those phrases uh, is a helpful way of summarizing different parts of Philippians as we journey through it. And just to recap, last week we were thinking about what it means to be selfless, that selfless identity. My identity isn't born in what I do. My identity is a gift that is given to me by God. We thought about this sense of having this selfless concern for other people and for the glory of God and not just for self. Uh, Selfless focus and then it's all sort of summarized in living a selfless life. And the extraordinary thing, if you remember, that we looked at last week is Paul's desire for himself and the church he's writing to to be selfless given the context he's in. Remember AD 48, he planted the church with... um, Silas and Timothy in uh, Philippi and then this church had been going 13 years and now Paul wasn't able to be with the church in Philippi he was in prison and you had every he had every reason to be focused on himself and yet the extraordinary way he starts his letter is to be completely other person centered utterly selfless as he reflected on the character of Christ and then do you remember last week there were a couple of things we sort of honed in on one was that key summary verse uh, that sort of summarizes the whole book of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 confident of this that he who has begun a good work in you and remember that word began is a very sort of deliberate thing like when you plant a seed in a pot he's begun a good work in you and he will bring it through to completion it's that wonderful picture really of the christian life god rescues us and sows that seed of faith in our heart and he is the one one day he will take us to be with him for all of eternity and then we thought didn't we of uh, verse 27 and whatever you do um, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Remember that word whatever is a very strong word. It's the sense of um, this one thing and this one thing only. Whatever you do. And I gave us the challenge. Think of where you'll be on Monday morning at 11 o'clock. Uh, for an illustration, that's your whatever. Wherever you are at 11 o'clock on Monday morning, whatever you're doing, there was that call of Paul, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so it's in that context that we're going to be coming on to think a bit about humility. Now, I'm just going to open this up to the floor. As we, as we think of that word humility, what are some of the sort of pictures or images that come to our mind? What are you thinking when you hear the word humble or you see a humble person? Just shout a few things out. Unpretentious, yeah, not sort of drawing attention to self. Noticeable? Unnoticeable, interesting, yeah, unnoticeable. Yeah, often humility is exhibited in, in uh, having a quiet spirit. Yeah, not always having to be the center of attention. Yeah, servant-hearted, yeah, absolutely. See, you reflect on humility that you perhaps see in another person and admire. You certainly see in Christ and admire. It's a beautiful thing, humility, isn't it? It's beautiful, and you don't see a lot of it around. But by contrast, think of pride, and Ken's already spoken about pride. Pride is something that presses rights. Pride is something that can be overly critical. Um, Pride often draws attention to self, uh, constantly referencing self in every experience. Pride often is is displayed by a person who is quick to speak, slow to listen. Uh, Pride often lacks integrity. It's about people-pleasing. I'm more worried about what other people think of me than I am what God thinks. And maybe one of the greatest ways that pride exhibits itself in all of our life is our prayerlessness. And so here you have this beautiful picture of humility. And we all say, that's attractive. I love it and I want to be, I want more of that in my life and for those around me. But then you hold in contrast that this thing called pride that is so ugly. 
And there's an awful lot of it around. Humility so beautiful, but so little of it around. And so tonight we're going to be thinking about humility, specifically in two areas. One is humility in suffering, and the other is humility in serving. So come back to uh, chapter 1, if you would. Chapter 1, verse 27. Remember, whatever you do, that very strong word, whatever you do, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And here's the thing. I bet when you read that statement that's on the screen, you go, yep, that's what I want. Of course I want to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel. If you're a Christian, of course you would want that. But here's the thing. When that verse really starts rubbing, what happens when the whatever is costly for you? Easy when life's going well to say, yeah, whatever I do, conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel. What happens when your whatever is a situation that you don't want to be in? So I spent some time reflecting on this this week, and it's really hit me that that word whatever has consequences, doesn't it? Notice for the Apostle Paul, when he's writing here, these are consequences I'm sure he's experienced himself, but it's also consequences that he is recognizing the Philippian church are going through. The early first century churches were persecuted desperately. It wasn't easy for them, not easy just to meet in a church like we do. Just notice as we work through the verses, 27, there's this language of needing to stand firm and the language of needing to contend, similar to the stuff we've been looking at in the book of Jude. Notice verse 28, the whatever for these Philippians involves not being frightened by those who oppose you. They're facing opposition. Notice the end of verse 29, there's a call to suffer. Not only to believe in Jesus, but suffer for him. And then verse 30, you get this word struggle. A more literal translation would be agony. It's sort of a very real struggle. Here's a picture of what the whatever could look like in our life. And yet come to chapter 2, verse 1. In the context of living in a whatever world where our whatever could often lead to hardship, notice what Paul then wants to go on and say, the very next thing. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says, listen, if you've got any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit. Do you notice the great Trinitarian picture there? United with Jesus Christ, comforted with the love of the Father, sharing in the common of, uh, the common sharing of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying that in the context of your whatever that could be very challenging, never forget that you belong to Jesus. And so the real question is, What difference should belonging to Jesus make when your whatever is uncomfortable? And we'll all face uncomfortable whatevers. Well, notice it goes on, verse 2. Then make my what? Joy complete by being like-minded. What Paul's trying to get at is, listen, friends, there's a joy that you can know in belonging to Jesus Christ that utterly transcends your circumstance, that utterly transcends your whatever, even if that whatever is a deeply painful one. But also, it's not just a joy that you will experience individually. But remember, this is a letter that's not written to one person. It's written to a church. And no doubt many of these letters were circulated amongst other churches. There's a corporate nature in which we as the body of Christ, as we belong to Jesus Christ, can know joy in whatever circumstance we go through. Do you notice all the references to unity in one mind? Uh, Come to just a couple of examples. Chapter 1, verse 27. Then when I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. 
And then you get it again in chapter 2, verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. And so Paul's saying, listen, you're going to live with this tension because you have a whatever in your life that's painful for you. But don't lose sight of the fact that you have joy in knowing Jesus. And that joy transcends your circumstance. I wonder if you could just turn back to Acts chapter 16. Keep your finger in Philippians. But I referred to Acts 16 last week because this is the story where during the second missionary journey, Paul had planted this church um, in Philippi. And what I love about the way that Paul writes the book of Philippians is he's not writing this letter from some cushy theological college where life's easy and he's got all the theology but he hasn't experienced it. Paul knows what it's like to suffer. And so everything he writes is kind of grounded in reality and in his own experience. Do you remember last week I talked about the first three people who formed this church in Philippi? There was Lydia, the wealthy um, dealer in purple cloth, chapter 16, verse 14. She was a worshipper of God, so she had some sense of who God was, but the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And we assume, therefore, she came to trust in Jesus and became part of this church. Then you had the slave girl, remember chapter 16, verse 18? She's owned by these people who use her to make money. She's under the influence of Satan. In chapter 16, verse 18, you read these wonderful words. Paul commands, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, we don't find out more about what happened to her, but if she before was under the influence of the devil, and then the devil, the spirit, the spirit leaves her, perhaps now she's under the influence of Jesus Christ and becomes the second person who forms this church. And then you had the jailer, chapter 16, verse 33, meant to be looking after Paul and Silas who are in jail. And wonderfully, after this miraculous breakout, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and his household were baptized. There's the joy of starting this first church. And yet, notice as well that there was real discomfort and pain for Paul. Come back to chapter 16, verse 19. When, this is speaking of the slave girl, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates. These men are Jews, they're throwing our city into uproar, etc. And then you read verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were then thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these instructions, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. For Paul, when he started this church, there was this experience of real joy. Three lives changed by the power of God. But in the context of knowing that joy, there was also great hardship. And there, in that first century situation, AD 48, Paul's whatever was a challenge. Whatever you do, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so when he writes this to the church, he's writing as one who's had to grapple with that himself. So what might it look like for you to suffer as a Christian? And maybe what a, could be a possible illustration of how you could respond to it in humility. Let me just give you three little pictures. Uh, perhaps, and this is true for actually many in our church, perhaps you're married to someone who is not a Christian and doesn't share your joy in the Lord. Or perhaps you've got um, family members who give you a hard time for being a Christian or have very different values and it causes kind of tension in the home. Maybe friends who give you a hard time. You suffer for being faithful to Jesus. If that's you, look at the verse on the screen. Whatever you do, 
and your whatever may be that painful marriage or that frustrating relationship where you're ridiculed for being a Christian, whatever you do in that circumstance, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. If that's you, go back to Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. Do you remember selfless identity? How does Paul define himself? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. If you suffer for being a Christian because those around you don't respect you for what you believe, never ever let go of this wonderful truth that you belong to Jesus and his grip on you will always be far stronger than the ridicule of those around you. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Second illustration, what about that really painful Christian experience of unanswered prayer? We've all been there and many here will be going through this right now. And as you face that experience of unanswered prayer, Paul says to you, whatever you do, even when you face unanswered prayer, he says, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what does that look like for you and for me when we face unanswered prayer? Well, let's remember chapter 1, verse 6. Confident of this, he's begun a good work in you. He's planted that seed of faith and he will bring it through to completion. That's a promise. And so even in the midst of the heartache of unanswered prayer, he's begun a work in you and maybe not answering our prayers in the way that we would like, certainly not in our timing and perhaps never. God in his wisdom is doing something in our heart to teach us to be more dependent upon him or to teach us to be humble and wait for his timing. It's not easy, is it? But humility is able to cling to Philippians 1 verse 6. In spite of the fact that there's great suffering in unanswered prayer. Third illustration. What happens perhaps maybe you're in a marriage which for you is not as happy as you would hope it would be. Or perhaps not as fulfilling. Or maybe you're in a work situation which is not that fulfilling. But you want to be faithful to Christ in your marriage. Or you want to be faithful to Christ in the workplace. And that means being faithful to the promises you made. It means honouring the person who employs you. And not necessarily doing what all your colleagues do is about one-upmanship and getting to the top of the pile and it kind of doesn't matter what the collateral is. No, I want to honour Christ in my work relationships. I want to honour Christ in my marriage. Whatever you do, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What might it look like if that's you? Well, come, Do you remember last week, if you go back to the book of Philippians? Just turn back to it, please. Philippians chapter 1 verse 14 I love this Paul's got such an energy despite everything he's gone through he says because of my chains most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear see he's he's struggling but he's rejoicing because his situation has led to other Christians being encouraged and so you see if you persevere in that painful marriage people around you will know that it's not easy for you but you will be a great example to them and might encourage them to persevere in a painful relationship. Or if you persevere in that work situation that is so unfulfilling, unrewarding, and you're not being recognized for the good that you do, and you're not top of the pile, when we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, guess what? It encourages people around us, and we'll be an astonishing witness. What I love about this humility is, the world would say humility is kind of weak, But actually, that's not what we see here. Humility is both beautiful, but also incredibly robust and powerful. Do you notice verse 28? In the context of people who are kind of giving you a hard time for being a Christian, 
Paul says, don't be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. See, when people oppose you for being a Christian, but you stay faithful, and you still show a joy despite the situation you're in, it's a sign of judgment on the people who are giving you a hard time, because they can't break you. Because the grace of God is so flowing up within you. Whatever happens, by the grace of God, you're conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's a sign of judgment on people who give you a hard time because their ridicule of you can't break the unshakable grace of God that holds you. It will be a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. In other words, what an encouragement to be in this situation, to keep clinging to that wonderful truth. He's begun a work in me and he will bring it through to completion. And his grip on me is stronger than whatever I go through. You think of Jesus hanging on a cross. The astonishing humility with which he went to the cross. That, that picture you get in Isaiah 53. Ridiculed, beaten, mocked. And yet we read, he did not open his mouth. And what was the incredible impact of that humility and suffering? Do you remember the Roman centurion? Mark chapter 15 verse 39. What did he declare when he saw our saviour hanging on a cross surely this man was the son of God because he saw the way that he suffered with great humility I just want to pause here and pray that God would give us greater grace in suffering and therefore greater humility should we pray together Father we struggle to be humble and we're so full of pride and that is particularly true when we suffer we want to stand on what we feel are our rights. We all want a comfortable life. And yet, by your grace, you can grow humility within us that we might learn to be more humble in suffering. Lord, in whatever our whatever is, where being a Christian can cost us, please help us, I pray, to grow in humility. Amen. Well, there's the first thing. Humility and suffering. Second thing, do you notice in our passage, humility in service. Come to chapter 2, 3 to 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. Here's a choice that we've all got to make every day of our life. Is my life going to be characterized by selfish ambition or by ambition for the glory of God? Be a great question to write down and ask yourself each time you wake up in the morning. Selfish ambition or the ambition for the glory of God? And do you notice twice, and it's quite convenient because it's verse 11. Verse 11 in chapter 1 and verse 11 in chapter 2. Do you notice what Paul's talking about, the final phrase, to the glory and praise of God? And then in chapter 2, verse 11, to the glory of God the Father. Friends, that's the choice we have to make every day. Am I living for selfish ambition? Or am I living for my ambition to be that God would get glory in my life? And you see, if we want God to have that glory in our life, and that's going to be a wrestling match, I'm sure, in all of our hearts, as I'm sure it is in mine every day, our attitude or our mindset is utterly crucial, isn't it? That's why I think we go on to read in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. And then what you get in these following verses, and they're pretty well-known verses, and they're quite astonishing, aren't they? 
you get this incredible picture of humility. But never ever be tempted to think that this is just a picture of humility. Because it's a picture of humility, but it's more than that. It's also a description of the great victory of humility. Jesus is not just an example to us when he died on the cross. He's our saviour who rescues us. And I just like to work through these phrases just for you to allow those phrases to speak to your heart. We read verse 6. Who being in very nature God. This great statement that Jesus was fully God. He was divine. Very like that statement in Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus is God. And yet despite that truth, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The old NIV says, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. See, what does pride do? It grabs hold. What does humility do? It lets go. And astonishingly on the cross, that's what Jesus did. He let go of all that was rightly his. And we read verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Nothing here is not speaking of uh, no dignity. He didn't make himself worthless. It's more the sense of dependence. Jesus in humanity became fully dependent on his heavenly father. Do you remember John chapter 5 verse 19? The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. It's a self-imposed limitation on Jesus as this great God man. And he's made in human likeness. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means to be made by God. It's humanity, you and I, we are desperately and utterly dependent upon God for everything, aren't we? And astonishingly, Jesus took on that posture. He learned what it was like to be fully dependent on his Father in heaven. And how, what did this look like? Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Just think about the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. The Christmas story. For the living God to become like us was the greatest act of humility that you could ever see. God became man. And he had to become man, didn't he? Why? Because he came to die as a substitute for you and for me. And so he died as a man. Remember Hebrews chapter 10? Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am, as it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O Lord. I've been humble this week just to reflect on this astonishing truth that Jesus Christ cared enough about me to serve me by becoming like me. God became like me. He took on sin upon himself on the cross and he humbly served me by dying on a cross and he humbly served you by dying on a cross verse 8 he became obedient to death why death why did it have to be death why because Romans six twenty three, the wages the cost of sin is death and so the only way of paying for the death that we deserve is for him to die in our place and what kind of death was it even Paul says death on a cross the most humiliating death the most public public death, the death of a criminal. And that is what's so tragic about what happened to Jesus. 
He didn't deserve to be humiliated. He deserved to have the praise. But he was humiliated in your place and in mine. He didn't deserve to be made a public spectacle over. He deserved the public to bow the knee before him. And he certainly didn't deserve to die the death of a, uh, die the death of a criminal. For he was the only person who ever lived as a human being perfectly. See, when Jesus died on the cross, it was an astonishing picture of humility. But it was far more than just a picture. Because it was an astonishing victory over death. And it was won for us through humility. just want to pause here just before some concluding thoughts. I'm going to watch a little video. If you could play that, please, Fred. It's a, it's a song we'll know. You laid aside your majesty. I'd just love you to reflect on the images. Listen to the words. Because these words in many ways summarize and are fed out of this wonderful passage in Philippians 2. Just be blessed as you watch and listen. See, when you read chapter 1 verse 27, whatever you do, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. When you read that verse, having reflected on chapter 2 verses 8 to 11, sorry, 5 to 11, doesn't that verse on the screen take on a whole new depth of meaning worthy of the gospel of Christ how has Jesus served me how must I now serve him and so you think of the attitude of Christ Jesus could we call to have that same mindset as Jesus Christ chapter 2 verse 5 what did that look like for Jesus well in, in humble service isn't it astonishing that Jesus didn't press his rights see when you get mocked by that unbelieving spouse or family member or friend you don't always have to be understood. You don't always have to win that battle. Why? Because you belong to Jesus. And that's far more precious. Notice Jesus as he humbly served us in incredible obedience. So when you face that situation of unanswered prayer, in humility, you can still trust, even if you don't have all the answers, even if you're not given the outcome that you would want. And notice how Jesus humbly serves us and that service involved great pain. Maybe dissatisfied in a relationship, dissatisfied in a situation in life or in work. What did Jesus say? He said, come follow me. And there's a cost to that, isn't there? And it's not always easy. But humility will go the way of the cross. But to encourage your heart, humility will lead you to suffer for Christ and humility will call you to serve Christ. But what's astonishing about the cross is both humility and service don't end up in the grave, but they lead to glory, don't they? Look at verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, not just a place or a high place, the highest place. And didn't just give him any name, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's the glory of the gospel. In humility, Jesus Christ served us. And it was through humility that he was raised to new life in glory. And this whole narrative of humility leading to glory is a very common narrative in the New Testament. Three scriptures to close on. Matthew 23, 12. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. James 4.10 Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5.6 Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand 
that he may lift you up in due time. And so friends, to put together last week and this week, if you and I are to remain or be or grow to be selfless and humble in the face of suffering and service, the crucial thing we do is remember who we belong to. The letter began with Paul saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Why don't you put your name there? Replace Paul and Timothy with your name. And pray that God would give you the grace to continue to be a servant of Christ Jesus. Living every moment of your life in response to all that he has done for you. Should we pray? I don't have anything specific on my heart to pray, but why don't we, in a moment of quiet, as God is speaking to us, just lift our spirits, our thoughts, our hearts to the living God in response. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. Let's let our final thought tonight be Jesus and what he's done for us. And let's sing these words to remind ourselves of all that he did for us by humbly serving us unto death.